The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 508 for Monday, June 30th, 2014. <laughs> To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found, and all the great stuff that you find throughout the week. We call through all that stuff, we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share some cool stuff found, and together the goal is to learn a whole ton, a boatload full of new stuff about the Mac and Apple and technology in general here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairville, Connecticut. John F. Braun. And here in Durham, New Hampshire. Well, another part of Durham is Pilot Pete. Someday we're going to switch parts of Durham, Pete. That's you're going right. to you're going to run the con, and I'm just going to sit over there and be the uh, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yes, uh, the incompetent geek gab would be the. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to say hello to our chat room uh, at macgeekgab.com/slash/stream. All the folks helping us out here today, and Fada asks if that's an English boatload or a metric boatload. Uh, today we're going to go with yes. metric. Yes, yes, yes yeah. it is. Yes, it is. That's right. That's right. Yes. I, I thought it was going to be Euro- European boatload versus an African boatload. And then we were going to have to talk about the relative speeds of those boats uh, to uh, to weave in a Monty Python joke. How you doing, John? Great. So we, we were both kind of on vacation, Dave. I think you, you were you were on a lake. I was on an island right. on a lake. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't and, uh, just well, on the lake. I, I was, I was, believe it or not, I was also on an island. You were. Your your island was and a little I bit smaller it. than the one I was on. Yes. No, no, a little bit larger. So? Sorry. Mine mine was uh, smaller. A, a wee bit larger. Yeah. yeah, there's a few million people on this island. So, yeah, so uh, you did your vacation thing, which uh, looked wonderful. I saw some nice pictures there. Yeah. You and the, the family and the kids and all that. I went to CE Week, Dave. Which is I a, know Like a mini did. CES. And I have a surprise for maybe later in the show is that I, I am currently using one of the items that I received at the show. And we're going to see how it goes here. So far, it seems to be working okay. But I did change one part of my audio setup here. And uh, maybe I'll mention it towards the end. Okay. But so far, it seems to be working. Well, that's a good that thing. You can hear me and I can hear you. So that's, uh, so that's good. But yeah, there was a lot of uh, audio-related stuff. I, I, I think I, I still have to digest what I saw and summarize it. But uh, audio was big, whether it be... You know, Bluetooth uh, speakers or headphones or music systems. Uh, that was one of the highlights um, uh, at this event here. And, and I think that's a good thing. Sweet. Right? I, that is a good thing. No, I'm sorry I missed it. That's, um, that sounds like a fun event. I got it next well, year. You come next time because you even you even hooked me up with uh, some of the vendors, uh, you know, some of the, some of the big names, you know, JBL and sure. uh, Denon and, and all those guys where they're showing off uh, their latest wear. So. Uh, so yeah, again, I'll, I'll uh, surprise you maybe towards the end as to what I got. <laughs> Sweet. That's awesome. I can't, I can't wait to find out. I, I, this is a surprise to me too, which is fun. Uh, so, you know, before I went away, I was going through and, and packing because I actually have two trips um, and, and I'm sandwiched in the, this podcast is sandwiched in the middle. We're home for about uh, three days, but uh, we were at the lake last week. And then this weekend for July 4th, we'll go up and see some of my family over in Maine. Uh, just a couple hours away. Uh, but uh, so we sandwiched this podcast in, but I actually, you'll appreciate this, John, because, because you're a geek and, and so am I. 
uh, I packed for both trips simultaneously. Uh, I didn't actually pack a separate suitcase. I'll use the same suitcase, but, uh, but I packed all my stuff so that when I got home yesterday, I took all the stuff out of my suitcase, threw it in the laundry, took the new pile, put it in the suitcase. Good to go. So, oh, I hit my cough button, but I didn't hit Pete. So you heard me. Sorry. About that. But as I was packing, John, uh, I, you know, I had to pack lightning cables cause, cause you know, that's, that's what I do. And, uh, it, uh, I noticed that all the lightning cables that I had, most of them were flaky, totally flaky. Uh, you know, they either wouldn't charge or I had to jigger them around in the connector to get them to charge or they would sometimes charge, uh, an iPhone at, you know, one amp, but they wouldn't do the two amp thing to do, um, uh, the, you know, the iPad. And so I, I, I started doing some, uh, I asked around on Twitter to see if I could figure out, because it seems to me, uh, certainly for me, it's true that lightning cables are far less reliable uh, than their 30 pin predecessors were. And I feel like I am constantly buying lightning cables and, uh, and then having them fail. Now, what I figured out was it, it, it seems that lightning cables do fine when they are, in stasis on the bedside table or at, at my desk, those cables last the ones in my travel bag do not last. And, uh, and it seemed that, you know, as we sort of sorted this out on Twitter, that that was the case for, for a lot of folks, uh, certainly not everyone, but, but it seemed like the cables that traveled were the ones that, that did not last as long as their 30 pin counterparts. Have you experienced any death of, of lightning cables, John? Oh, absolutely. Um, so the Apple cable that I got with my iPhone. Yep. So the cables that I, that I got with my iDevices, those for the most part work okay. They're, okay. they're not quite as long as I'd like. I think they're only a couple of meters or several feet long, but I don't think I've ever had any problems with those. Now, now I did have um, a friend of ours actually recommend a place, uh, and I think they ship out of Hong Kong, and uh, they were inexpensive, or actually, no, I'm going to say cheap. Cables. Okay. And that they were like, you know, less than $2 US for a six foot cable. Okay. Does it work? And I would get uh, sometimes. Yeah. And that's the weird part. Like uh, consistently and that they replaced one of them that, that was particularly bad. But what I would see happen is that they would charge to a certain point. Then I would get the message that we all have seen, or I think we all, almost all of us have seen, which is uh, this device is not authorized. Yeah. Which is because cables are supposed to have this thing. So Apple has this thing called an MFI program, which is basically this chip that you got to license and put in your cable from Apple. And it's supposed to do this kind of mysterious handshake and and it's supposed to work. But I've, you know, a lot of times, Dave, though, I've, I've even had devices where I don't even know if it's the device that's unreliable or the, the, the mechanism is unreliable. Because I've had things where they almost always work, but sometimes they freak out and they say this device is not or i don't believe this device is authorized they don't charge they don't sync yeah well apple has their mfi recall that like you said i don't i don't recall seeing that with the 30 pin devices Uh, almost never did i see a message saying this is not authorized and i'm not going to work with you but i've definitely seen it many times with with the newer lightning cable yeah no it, it it's certainly true um the lightning cables have a chip in them right uh at inside the lightning connector and Apple has their MFI made for iPod program, but maybe now it's made for iOS device program. I don't Maybe they've changed the name. Maybe they haven't. But 
if you put a chip in that's not certified, uh, then weird things happen. And we've seen it where even a software update to the iPhone can be the thing that kicks it over the uh, the edge. Right. So uh, and and doesn't allow the cable to work and, and all of that. But but even with those cables that worked when they came out of the box and nothing with the no software has 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 pushed them over the edge because there's those cheap ones. And, and I've learned not to trust the cheap ones. I would love to, cause they're two bucks instead of like 14, but uh, you can't right? because they don't, if they aren't certified or, or made with parts that are certified by Apple, there's just no way that, uh, that it's going to work so, reliably. So I only buy MFI certified cables. Um, but even with that, I've found that, uh, in general, again, the ones that are in stasis on the desk are fine, no matter what. But uh, in moving around, I found the Apple cables are completely unreliable. They're total crap. Uh, they do not survive. Really? Yeah, they really? don't. They, for me, they don't survive. Um, and and I've I've tested a couple of others. The, the thin ones tend to be the ones that don't don't work. Um, cable drive has their uh, eye bolts. XL and XS, which are the 10 foot and three inch, I think versions of the same cable or six foot and three inch. those cables. They're thick. They have a nice long lightning connector, which means it fits in a lot of cases that other ones might not. And they're, they work really well. I've had uh, the longer version in, in my car for a long time and it's totally reliable even though i beat the crap out of it including pinching it in a like the console door and everything it's awesome um the xs one i have in a tiny little mesh bag with my extended battery and that one is always reliable too i just got literally today just got uh four of the 10 foot mono price cables that i ordered before i left obviously they they didn't show up until now those are the same thickness as these these eyebolts ones, uh, and they were fourteen, thirteen, seventy a piece. I'll put uh, a link for the ten footers in uh, in the show notes. But uh, but those I, I haven't tested them, so I can't speak to it. But every other mono price cable that I've used has been totally reliable and really high quality. So I've 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 got good feelings about these, and uh, but you know. It's uh, the thin ones just don't seem to last when you travel. So, however, uh, I, I ordered all these cables and then someone on Twitter had a brilliant idea. And so I'm probably never going to buy another lightning cable in my life because here's what you do. They sell adapters that convert micro USB to lightning and the chip and there, you can get them MFI certified. The chip is in the adapter. So here's the thing. You just buy cheap micro USB cables. And when the cable dies, you can throw it away and get another cable because your lightning chip, your MFI chip is in the little cap that you put on the end. And that's the answer. That's what I'm going to do from now on. Even though I just bought these modern price cables, obviously I'd ordered them before I, before I, I've got a question. Then. Yeah. Pete. Cause I've bought the, I've, bought the adapter from apple before that micro usb mm -hmm. and uh but i didn't realize there was any chip in there and here's the here's the problem although most of the time uh i don't need it i can't seem to transfer data oh it charges just great so i'm only needing one cable when i yeah. need to switch from lightning to, to sure. usb but i can't transfer data uh so maybe there maybe maybe there is a flaw in my logic here yeah, yeah. so john you Unless have one of those a, a you have one of those cables 
right that we got at MacWorld um, in our speaker bag, right? That has ah, the little cap the one from. I'm I'm looking that one up, but but the one I want to mention that I've had good luck with, and I think it was in a CES goodie bag. Uh, the company is Scoche, S-C-O-S-C-H-E, Scoche? Scoche, yeah. And you may have gotten that too, but they have one that I have had absolutely no problems with. So, so it's kind of cool. It, is it the cap? It's an extendable. No, no, no. It's, a, it's an extendable one. So I call it the iPhone lightning cable USB charger, but it's a retractable cable. So it's it, it'll pull out to, I think, about a six-foot cable. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, it'll reel in to something and i've never ever had a problem with this and this is something that i always put in my travel bag because it just always works that is a good one my my daughter commandeered that one when it showed up here and that one is has been uber reliable for her as well but but you got the one we both got them at macworld expo different company it wasn't skosh uh, but the skosh one is good because it's it's a flat cable it's not a round cable and so it coils up really well uh on their little coil it's good um, but you got one, it, it, it's micro USB and lightning in the same cable. It's kind of got the cap built into the cable. And I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. Cause I gave mine away to Corey who, uh, who writes the Mac geek app. Uh, so I don't have it here to remind myself what it was, but, uh, but there's that one too. <sighs> no, uh, I, 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 don't have it. I'm, I'm looking back because I'm almost certain I mentioned it during a Mac round table and I'm looking in the notes and I, okay. I'm not finding it. Okay. But yeah, it was basically, yeah. So it's a, it's a micro USB, as you said, with a lightning cap. Um, and that one I've, I've had reliable as well. The only caveat with that one. Can you transfer data is, or does it have the problem that Pete said? Uh, I have not. Um, yeah, I've, I've used it for transferring data. You have. The only thing. Is that I recently got a, and, and I'll highlight this too. I, I just got this again. You know, we're we're just blessed with people that want to give us things. Sure, but I recently got a life-proof case uh, for my uh, iPad Air. Okay. The only downside of that cable, Dave, is it does not fit. And this is a problem with a lot of these cables that have extensions, yeah, or caps or whatever. Is that the tip is too big to fit yep. into uh, uh, devices? And this isn't just these guys. It, it's a lot of people. Um, right, which is why I the like the just too fat to why I like the cable drive cables as well as the monoprice ones because they have nice long um, connectors on them, so they will fit inside those sort of extended cases, which is good. It's Skiva Tech S K I V A T E C H is the company that, That's the that one. sells that um, that thing that that other cable. Yeah, and at one point we so. were talking about it, and there was a problem with availability, but it looks like right now you can get them no problem from Amazon or, or uh, direct from the company, I guess. Yep. Yeah, that's a very clever idea is to combine the two because, I mean, you know, the rest of the world uses micro USB. It's only Apple that uses the. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, lightning. Yeah. the lightning. And I've seen that a lot of devices now that that's that's their choice. They're like, well, we'll give you both. Like even one of the, you know, uh, uh, rechargeable batteries that I have. Those are the two connectors it has. It has a lightning connector and a micro USB because that's what yeah, right. the world uses. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so that's where we're going with it. I um I don't know um I, I so I figured I'd I'd share uh my experiences with that. Hopefully you know if you're not having trouble with your cables and don't worry about it. But um but you need them MFI certified and for me anyway the the thicker the better for travel which kind of stinks cuz it would be nice to have really lightweight 
you know, uh, easily packable cables, but I just don't trust the thin ones. I did wound up, I, I wound up buying, um, some four from Amazon that were MFI certified, but they were able to get here overnight. Actually, it turned out to be overnights, but it showed up before we left for the lake. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I got those four and then I got the other monoprice ones today. So hopefully I'm well stocked here for a while, but I spent like a hundred bucks on cables to buy eight cables because that's what it costs, you know, and that's how it is. It does, Dave. I mean, it leads me to a fish shake. Yeah. And I'm going to give it a fish shake. It's not a finger rag. It's a fish shake because uh, I noticed, well, no, I noticed this, especially when I was at CE week and I was talking to vendors who would offer charging products, products. They're like, Oh yeah. Well, we have, a version of the product that works with micro USB and Android and the rest of the world. And it's, for example, one product was fourteen ninety five. But if you want the Apple version, uh, it's twenty four ninety five because we have to pay yeah. to put that stupid lightning chip in there or MFI chip. And uh, we're going to pass the, the cost along to you. Right. And, and I, I honestly don't see what value it adds. Um, if someone at Apple wants to let me know what value there is uh, uh, other than creating a closed ecosystem that the MFI chip... Uh, offers please please let us know i i i'd like to know <laughs> yeah let's i mean let's let's not spend a lot of time but let's speculate on that so it, the we know that from our our android tablets that micro usb can do uh two amps so that's not the the reason right uh we know that it can transfer data that's not the reason uh lightning has the benefit of being uh, uh, you can use both sides of it, right? Or you can use it interchangeably. You don't have to plug it in one specific way. Either either side works. And that's part of what you're paying for there because the guts have to, to intelligently figure out which side of the stupid thing you plugged in. But, um, man, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what else the... What what else you can use? May, oh, maybe there's um, direct digital audio outputs and and such in the cable, like the thirty pin cable have that micro USB does not, right? But oh, otherwise, yeah. it's oh, yeah, you know what I bet it is? The, um... I bet it's the size, right? Is is um, are we able to make or is Apple able to make flatter devices because uh, the Lightning connector is that much thinner than micro USB? Not so much that, but the 30-pin one that he's come off of. But the other thing that it, it definitely can do is it transfers, uh, like you say, the digital data and audio uh, for the uh, for video. Because okay. I've got one of those adapters that you plug into an H. It's an HDMI adapter. Right, right. Which that's, I don't know that you can do HDMI no, from micro USB. You can't. That that's yeah. that's right. So that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so so it offers more capabilities than micro or any USB. Right. That it, it transfers more than just uh, it, digital So you're getting something data. for your money okay. there, even though it seems like and, it's awful similar. Yeah, <laughs> and as Doc Rock points out, micro USB, it gets beat up pretty quickly. Those those connectors get, get pretty flimsy very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm not sure that I'm seeing, you know, from that standpoint, I'm not sure I'm seeing lightning any better. Um, but anyway, we'll see. We shall see. We shall see. All right. Well, good. Hopefully, uh, if, if you folks have any great ideas, please obviously share them with us. Feedback at MacGeekCab.com is the address to send that into. Is that feedback, Dave? Feedback no. at MacGeekCab? No, no. That's oh. feedback, feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Feedback at MacGeekCab. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think I quite heard that right. <laughs> is that right, John? What did you hear, John? Uh, I heard feedback at MacGeekCab.com is where you want to. 
You can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4,330 plus five. That's right. And you can find us on Twitter, which is where uh, this whole conversation about cable started. Uh, Twitter.com slash Matt Geekab is, of course, the show. John F. Braun is that guy. Pilot Pete is that guy. Dave Hamilton is this guy. And Mac Observer is the uh, site. And we've got, you know, all the headlines and conversation from TMO coming over there. So that's how you find us. Uh, Speaking of email, John, I've had run-ins with my email provider of choice lately. And it might be time to leave them. Oh, and my email provider of choice is Google. Uh, I've been using their uh, Google uh, um, apps for domains, uh, you know, uh, and I've also uh, been using just Gmail in general. But I had two run-ins. One was uh, for the domain that I use for my band. And actually, I'm not sure if this has been resolved or not. But suddenly email to uh, bandmates started bouncing. And I logged in and Google says, oh, yeah, that account's been disabled. And it turns out that it wasn't just me uh, or us, I should say. Lots of uh, Google Apps for Domains accounts uh, were disabled last week by surprise. Google requires that you log in once every 30 days to your free account. Uh, They don't allow you to create free accounts anymore. That ended, I think, in December. But regardless, it's over now. But anybody that had one, you could keep it. Uh, But you had to log in every 30 days. And if you didn't, they would send you a note saying in 30 days, we're going to cancel your account if you don't log in. We had never received uh, emails like this. And in fact, we had logged in, but uh, but they shut it down. And now they're in the process of of seeing if they'll they'll turn it back on. But I don't like the idea of having my email provider simply turn off my email account. Now, that could happen with any provider, uh, to be fair. But getting in touch with someone support wise at Google uh, well, getting in touch with them didn't take very long. Getting them to take any action. Uh, well, here we are a week later, and I believe that email to that domain is still uh, still uh, in the wrong spot uh, in terms of it's, it being enabled. So so that's that's one problem that I had. And it, granted, it's a it was a free account. This was a Google Apps for Business free account. Uh, so I don't you know, I don't expect miracles out of them, but I also don't expect them to just turn it off. So that's um, that that happened. That's number one. Uh, paid accounts, presumably they wouldn't do this with. But what do I know? Right. Uh, let's hope. Well, was it a business or a personal one? Because I use a personal one. Well, there is no such thing as Google Apps for personal okay. for for your own right. domain. Right. If you're using your domain, right. it, it is Google Apps for business. For business. Yeah. That's right. Because, boy, I use that. But I've, it, did you go 30 days without signing into your email account? No. Oh, man, that would leave me dead in the water if they were to just turn me off. I'm exactly. in it every day. Thank goodness it was that one and not any one of the others that I use. Well, yeah, but that, yeah. So what's, this, what's your so, solution, you think? Well, let, let me tell you the other reason. So that, that was sort of annoying. And then uh, while we were up at the lake, my son said to me, he said, uh, you know, my phone has been uh, saying it can't log into my email account. Like, okay. Well, that's fine. So I tried, you know, we, we killed the account. We re-added it because sometimes Gmail's weird. And this was just a normal Gmail account that he had. And uh, like it didn't work. And I said, well, let's try logging in on the web. We can fight with it later. So I got a login on the web. It says this account has been uh, deactivated because the account holder is under 13 years old. 
and we don't allow Gmail uh, accounts for people who are under 13. And in, in fact, my son is um, under 13. He, he won't be 13 for another uh, several months. But if that were part of their thing, now he's had this account for four years, I think, five years. Um, if that were part of, if, if he were not able to get, we didn't lie. I, I'm certain of this, that we didn't lie when we set up his account. Now, did we read the whole EULA? No. No one does, but they didn't ask for his date of birth when we created the account. And if they had, we would have put the right date of birth in and it would have said, no, you can't do this. So they just locked him out and then said, we need proof of age in order. The account was locked out. It wasn't even, we aren't going to receive email, but you can have your archive of your data. Nothing. There was no access to his email whatsoever uh, or his calendar or anything else, uh, you know, tied to his Gmail account until we unlocked it and to unlock it, we had to tell them that he's older than 13. So what we did is I actually took over the account and I gave him my birth date and, and did the whole confirmation thing that we needed to go through to, to get him to unlock the account. But those two things together are enough for me. I don't need that kind of headache. Uh, you know, I, there's a better way to handle that. There's a, you know, you, I get that there's all these privacy things and, and especially with kids, et cetera. And I, I totally get that Google doesn't want to play in that sandbox and that's okay, but you can't just turn it off. That's crazy. Yeah. You got to give notice and times, you know, a time yeah, frame before sure you can. we're going to shut it down. <laughs> well, they, they can and they did, I guess. But yes. You didn't read the EULA. Maybe that's why there was a Google tow truck backing up to your car as I pulled up here. Yeah. Dave. I don't <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. So that's, so those two things have me investigating other uh, email providers. And it seems like the one, certainly the one that is recommended most often to me is fastmail.fm. Uh, a lot of people really seem to like that. The other one is called VXYZ at VXYZ.com. Those, those have been the ones that come up pretty regularly. I do not want to run my own mail server. Been there, done that, not interested in going back. Uh, are, are those free options? What's that? Are those both free options? They, neither of those is free. Oh, okay, because the other one I was going to, and I haven't investigated, but uh, they always offer when I do my domains with Hover is a, a email with them. Yeah, so I think it's 10 bucks a year per address or something. Yeah, and, and I can do that. I, I want to be able to manage a domain with it. So I can do that through yeah. GoDaddy. I can do it through Hover. I, I want a, a decent email service, right? right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not opposed to paying. Um, I just didn't have to with Google. And it was really good. They've got good webmail. They've got good spam filtering. They've got, you know, their reliability is pretty darn good. Although, again, recently, you know, when I was at WWDC, I had all kinds of problems with Google rejecting my passwords. And, and it had nothing to do with where I was. It just was yeah. Google being flaky. Yeah, so. they've got a nice channel on IFTTT for, yeah. you know, getting email alerts. That, that's the, and, and here's the other thing. You know, moving from a Google Apps for Business account, if I move my domain, what does that do to all my accounts but at Google, like for YouTube and things like that, that are tied. This is the question I need to. Yeah, that's I really need to answer. That's going to take you a couple weeks to unsort at best. I would think. I would think. Yeah. So, so that's where I am. I'm investigating Fastmail. I'm investigating the XYZ. Although, if I go with either one, it would probably be Fastmail unless I find something. Uh, but yeah, it's it's as Brian Monroe in the chat room is saying. This is where it's a mess. Uh, so, so. Um, 
This does bring us around, though, John, because you let Gmail go a while ago, uh, at least in terms of funneling well, of any them. any quantity of email through it. Right. And uh, and you moved to Yahoo and you promised us that uh, or we, we promised our listeners that we would come back around at some point and have you talk about um, Yahoo. Now, uh, I want to hear about your experience with Yahoo. But the first question I'm going to ask is one that you may or may not know the answer to. But that is, does Yahoo offer any email for domains like Google does with Google, uh, you know, for business. And you probably don't um, know the answer. I, I haven't explored that. So okay. That's fine. Know. That's okay. I just figured I'd ask. So, cause I'm curious for me. All right. Now, as far as you go, uh, you've been using Yahoo as your main conduit for email for what? Six months now, four months, something like that. How's that going? Yes. It's going pretty good. Better, uh, I'm uh, to summarize. I, I would say I'm glad that I made the switch. Okay, so let me quickly summarize why I made the switch. So, I was using Gmail now, like many others, I was not using my Gmail account, which was John Braun at gmail.com. Okay, uh, I was one of the early adopters, like you, Dave, and so I got one of those things. I never used that address or anything serious, and for whatever reason, maybe because I was an early adopter, dude. This account, although the, the Google spam filters are wonderful, I was getting, now it expires the spam after a month, I was getting about 3,000 pieces of spam a month, okay? That's just crazy. <laughs> so number one, because for whatever reason, maybe, I'm, I'm sure somebody brute forced it, but the, the amount of spam was just ridiculous. So it made using the my Gmail account uh, uh, a non-starter. It was impossible. Because there's so much garbage. So, but the other reason that I decided to move, Dave. So one was that um, because of the spam. The other was the pseudo IMAP nature of it, and that you had to do these, you know, crazy things all mail. You had to turn that off. You you told me how to manage that. You know, we had a great article yep. that a lot of people looked at. But but it was just the non-standard nature that bothered me. And then probably the 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 final nail in the coffin was that Mavericks totally screwed up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Apple totally screwed up their integration. Now, whether it was Apple's fault or Gmail's fault or probably a, a little of both. But once I went to Mavericks Mail and, you know, we both ran into this. It was just a train wreck. I was like, OK, I, I got to get away from this. There are enough reasons now between the spam and it just doesn't work right with mail, which is what I still use as my primary email client on, on both iOS and Mac OS. And I'm like... And the thing is, even to this day, so, so you know, my, my TMO email is managed through uh, Google, and I still can't reorder my folders in mail. And it's aggravating. It pisses me off. So. Huh. <laughs> but that's a, that, is that a mail thing? Or can you reorder folders I, from... I don't know. I mean, the thing well, is... Well, can I you drag, reorder folders drag, from Yahoo? Yes. Yeah. Oh, all right. No, I'm, I'm almost certain it's a Gmail thing. So, for example, you know, you and I both have our, you know, TMO... Or, or our uh, Mac Geek app email. And I have a folder that's premium and one for regular. Sure. I can't change the order in the mail sidebar. And I don't know if it's Google's fault or Apple's fault, but I can't change the order. Every other email, including Google, I can do that. Or I'm sorry, Yahoo, I can do that. Let me let me so, try this. Hang on. So can I reorder? Uh, let's see. No, I cannot reorder those. I have the same experience you do. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I want to reorder my folders. So I, I went over to, to, to Yahoo 
so I'll, I'll give you some of the reasons here. So one, Yahoo Now, they used to offer, I guess, a Yahoo Plus email or whatever. But now Yahoo will offer anybody email with one terabyte of storage. As far as I can see right now, Google offers 15 gigabytes. Now, for email, for the most part, th- those are both values that I would challenge anybody to reach um, in any amount of time. But one terabyte is bigger than 15 gigabytes. Oh, I, I've, I've hit so, 15 gigs. I have way more than 15 gigs worth of email. Okay. So Google, that's, that's their limit. Last yeah. I checked when yeah, I looked at their, it is. their account You're right. limit for their... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one reason. And at this point in time, for free, Yahoo offers a terabyte. Okay, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so step one, so, so I want to give a little uh, look into this. So step one of migrating from one to the other was to copy everything over from one account to the other. And it was basically done through the mail interface. And sure. I had a folder that was under Gmail and I dragged it over Yahoo. And I don't fault either party for this uh, i fault actually myself i i blame myself dave okay because <laughs> every now and then i would get these imap errors and it was mostly due and uh, i i it would say i can't copy this email from this server to that server because something's missing in this email apparently there's some parsing or you know checking of the headers or the contents i blame actually mail in, in that it was corrupted because at some point it would just say, I'm not going to copy this folder of email from one to the other because there's, there's something wrong. Um, I was able to tell when, where it left off and where to resume that, but it was annoying in that I couldn't do it in one fell swoop. Um, I, I guess my takeaway from that is, you know, make backups of your email. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe rebuild your mailboxes. I found that that did it in some cases. Sure. I, I guess the thing is, you know, no matter what email client you have, mail may get corrupted. Headers may get lost. They may get, you know, uh, categorized incorrectly and imap will say whoa no that, that, i'm not copying that because it, it doesn't look right um so that happened uh, again i'm not quite sure where to place the blame i guess everybody gets a little bit of it sure um so the second thing is that yahoo and google both offer a way to add which uh, you know i think a lot of us do or would like to do offer you a way to incorporate other email accounts under theirs. So yeah, in the past, even though it was johnbrown at gmail.com, I would have my opt online forwarded to it and, or picked up. Sure. Uh, and I think that's the important part. So you can do that with Yahoo as well. So you say, okay, I want to add my opt online account under this yahoo.com account. Yep. And it sends a verification email to make sure. And then once that happens, then you can use the Yahoo SMTP server to, uh, you know, to handle the mail, very similar to Google. Sure. And that's great. And that worked fine. The only uh, caveat here. So, so there are two strategies. If you want to incorporate another email address under the umbrella of either Google or Yahoo, and that's um, you can either do a pop pickup, which I was doing in the past, or you can do a forward from your other provider to either Yahoo or Google. Uh, the only thing I found is that, Yahoo, as far as I can tell, is lacking in that whereas Google would automate this, it's like every five or 10 minutes, it would do a pop pickup from another account, yep. opt online or whoever. Yahoo, as far as I could tell, um, you had to manually instigate that. It okay. would do it automatically. So but that's one but if, your provi- Yahoo, if your provider allowed you a way to forward directly to your Yahoo address, then that, that would happen and you wouldn't need to worry about pop pickup. Which... Most providers you know, do we know each other. We know each. Yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. And so, 
you know, the thing is, we've known each other so long. I knew you would say that. And I was expecting you to say that because I decided, you know what? This is the right way to do it. Let me change my strategy. So let me take my other accounts and forward them. Sure. Or in the case of some, I would have to build a filter. So in the case of Opt Online, you have to build a filter. Okay. It's based on a number of criteria. So you say if this, if that, if that. And that, that gets kind of crazy because yeah. you can't do, a, well, you can try. But the thing is, what you want to keep in mind is that if you're doing a forward, you got to be careful. Because at one point I said, oh, well, I'll just you know take anything where the to address is whatever at Opt Online and forward it to my Yahoo account. Well, guess what? That doesn't catch everything. Right. Because right. It's not, yeah, it's not like the old days email where you could drop a dot forward in your uh, in your home directory and you're good to go. Right. Right. But the problem is also is when people send you emails, you would think that the two field is always your email address. It no. isn't. And I think some of it is people using mailing list software. And you've seen this too, Dave. Of course. Oh, no. Yeah, it, two is unreliable. Yeah, it's not a. Yes. Yeah. Filtering on the to address is unreliable. Now, on Gmail, what you can do is you can filter on something, and this is another shortcoming of Yahoo, but, but I, I was able to deal with it. Um, there is another header called delivered-2 colon, I believe it is. That is the actual address that the uh, email is delivered to, so it's different from the two field. The problem is the opt-online filters would not look for that, so I actually had to do that within the mail app. Google let me do that. Yahoo does not. Yahoo's right. filters are not as sophisticated. So that's one thing against Yahoo. Okay. But in general, the email has worked well for you. Have you, have you needed to get any support uh, or have you tried to get any support from them? Well, yes. And now here's the big problem. And this is not unique to Yahoo. So okay. We had a family event coming up and my family both have Yahoo, but both my sister and my, my, my parents have yahoo.com. Uh, email and, and they've been using it for years. Sure. And it was funny because, you know, we had a family event coming up and I'm like, you know, usually my sister sends out an email, you know, with the agenda and who should bring what and stuff like that. She's the uh, social coordinator. Uh, okay. Um, and I was like, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day and I'm like, mom, I didn't get an email from Sue about, uh, uh, you know, what's happening. She's like, well, I did. And I'm like, can you forward it to me? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I haven't seen it. Um, and I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. Then I'm like, you know what? Can you send it to my Mac.com email instead? And it showed up immediately. I'm like, okay, something's wrong with Yahoo. And this is where I discovered that Yahoo has done something um, kind of like your fish shake against Google where they didn't really tell people. Um, then I'm like, you know what? It seems that emails coming from Yahoo aren't making it. And so I tried this. I sent myself an email from my yahoo.com to my uh, opt online and I got a bounce message. Wow. That was in my junk folder. Now that's the other thing. Yahoo junk filtering, I, I would say is not quite as good as Google, but then okay. again, I don't get the amount of junk that I did at Google. But the thing is I got a bounce message and it said, um, sorry, this email has violated policy. Like, because it's Yahoo going outside of Yahoo and coming back. Right. I mean, is that, is that what the policy was? Well, this well, the thing is, this is a recent change that Yahoo had made, I think, around April. Okay. And actually, I did a bit more digging, and uh, our good friend uh, Adam Inks, the tidbits, actually yeah. went into this. So what happens is that if an email is sent from Yahoo to another account, like OptOnline, and then you in turn forward that to a Yahoo.com email, like I am doing, Yahoo will flag that as 
spam or bogus and will reject it. And to me, that's wrong. (laughs) I see why they're doing it, but I mean, I I see why, but to me, they should be smart enough to say, okay, I, I understand that this email is coming from another domain and it, it's a yahoo.com address. The thing is it's being sent to an address that is in my list of verified accounts. And that's where I think they're making a mistake is that it's being sent to an address that's been verified as one that I should. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yep. So I said this opt online at uh, this opt online address is a legitimate address that Yahoo should acknowledge. They're saying, no, 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 it's coming from, somewhere else and saying it's from Yahoo. We don't care where you think it's going. We're, we're just going to reject. We're it. just going to stop it. Sure. An article. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And actually, and uh, yeah, and his article, um, and we'll link to it. It's a very good article, but you know, the, basically the title of it, I think encompasses it. Yahoo and AOL damage mailing lists and email forwarding is the title of his article. And that's really what they're doing. They're breaking the forwarding mechanism that has worked for so many people for so long. And is it still is it still broken today? Yes. Oh no, they're they're not fixing it. No, this is their position. We uh, unless a number of people shake their fists at them, that that is their position. So what I had to do to get around it, Dave, is so I changed my filters on my opt online. So I say if the mail is coming from Yahoo, send it to my iCloud instead. Oh, okay. (laughs) Man. Otherwise, send it to my Yahoo. So the thing is, if it's from Yahoo, I won't send, I won't forward it to Yahoo. Sure. That's the only way I can figure out how to, how to deal with that. Yeah. So that's okay. my tale of woe. But other than that, I, I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty happy with Yahoo. Um, their iOS client is very nice. Their web interface is, uh, is uh, really nice. You know, I copied all my, my data over there and, uh, you know, and it gets around some of the weirdness of Gmail. You know, as far as how they organize things and categorize things, I understand why they do what they do, but it was just the annoyances just started to build up. So, so I'm okay with Yahoo. So I, you know, I don't encourage people to, you know, give them a, give them a shot. I mean, the price is right. Now, did you try to contact Yahoo support back to my oh, original question? Oh, okay. Actually, actually I did. Yeah. So I actually did um, on Twitter. Yeah. I basically said, guys, um, you know, something, something's happening here. And how and were they minutes? I got a reply from them. Okay. Uh, they basically said, well, they basically referred me to the policy document. And then I said, well, this used to work. And they're like, well, yeah, we, you know, uh, this is happening because it appears that you're sending spam. Okay. All right. So they did. And I said, well, I, I think, and and I said to them, I I think your decision is wrong, but they they got back to me. They they, they did get back to, to me, and they okay. gave me their reason. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, well, Twitter. that's so. So I, I that's so good. I have no problem with their support team. Their support team's great. I I don't like their decision, <laughs> but that's another story. Sure, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But you were able to get in touch with some. Okay, that's good. Now they do have a Yahoo small business email. Um, that we'll link to in the show notes. So obviously, we know nothing about it. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room says, uh, don't use it. So take that for uh, what it's worth. Brian, uh, actually, it, it, Brian knows what he's talking about a lot of the time. So I would, I would actually take that pretty, um, I, I would take his advice pretty strongly. So, uh, but that, yeah. So I'll, I'll keep you folks posted about where I go with email. I, I don't think I'm going to go with Yahoo. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go with any, uh, if I do make the switch from Google and I, as painful as that's going to be, I think I'm going to do it. But uh, if I find more pain points in extracting myself from them, I, I may or may not. 
but uh, I'm going to go to somebody who uh, their chief business is email uh, because yeah. that that seems like the smartest move to me. It's just the pain, the pain, I the mean, pain because of the calendars and the notes and all the syncing that's going on with all your iOS devices. Yep. It's just that that web they've got, they've woven into our lives. Well, and that's the nice part about <laughs> fast mail. And, and actually yeah. I think the other one too, the, the X, Y, Z, they have their own CalDAV server. Yeah. They're going to start doing they, And the CalDAV thing from fast mail just popped up last week. I mean, it, it, They've been beta testing it for a while, but it, they just rolled it out last week. So there's that. But there's nothing to be said that, that I can't still sync some calendars through Google. Sure. I, yeah. I just want to get my email away from it. It's too important. So uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Throughout this, I did get a tweet that certainly qualifies as cool stuff found from uh, Ashpole on Twitter. And uh, he referred me to something that hopefully we won't need. Uh, in several months, but for now is actually a pretty cool thing. It's called Cargo Lifter from Chungwasoft, and I'll put a link in the show notes. What it does is uh, it integrates with Mail on your Mac and automatically sends attachments via the cloud. So instead of attaching your big document to your email, it uploads it to your um, either Dropbox, Google Drive, Cloud App, BoxNet, you send it, you know, whatever you want to use, uh, and it uploads it to that and replaces your attachment with a link in the email. Very similar to what uh, what we saw demoed for Yosemite, and hopefully uh, something that uh, is useful. But, uh, but Cargo Lifter exists today, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes for all of you, because that's, um, that's how it goes. So there's that. You know, John, through, um, through that email uh, exchange there that we had, you mentioned that you have mm-hmm. two different boxes for Mac Geekab. You have the premium Mac Geekab box and the regular box. I, I want to remind everybody about our premium subscription, our premium membership, our premium program. Uh, you can find out about it at MacGeekab.com. You can sign up for it at MacGeekab.com. It was built... Actually, as a as a request of yours, you our listeners, not all of you, uh, but but many of you wanted a way to be able to support us directly here. And that's what the premium program uh, was was generated for. We uh, have various levels. You can contribute as much or as little as you want. Uh, You don't have to contribute anything. This is not mandatory. Uh, We certainly appreciate it. And as as John mentioned, we we do have a separate premium at MacGeekab.com email box that uh, all of our premium subscribers are able to use. And that does get prioritized. Uh, We do take a look at that first. Although, as I've said many times, we try and often succeed almost always uh, to go through everything. But, uh, but the premium stuff certainly gets our attention because you're helping us keep the lights on. Uh, You know, the, the, the funds that we get from premium go towards everything, buying new uh, equipment here, but also paying our mortgages and, you know, buying food. So, uh, it definitely helps all the way around, but it's true, right? I mean, it, it's, it's income for us. So it's, it's, you know, that, that's, that's how that works. And we certainly appreciate it. Uh, you can check it out at MacGeekab.com and, uh, and, and then about once a year we do a, uh, a giveaway thing. We did water bottles last year and, uh, we've got some cool mugs coming around that, uh, we send those out to anyone who has contributed, uh, at least a hundred bucks since the last gift round and, uh, and there's yeah, actually quite a absolutely. bit of you on the list. So should be fun. Should be fun. And it's not just the 
and, and what I didn't realize, I hadn't looked at that page the other day. You know, I just collected checks. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, what's nice that we, is we had someone recently where, you know, we dug pretty deep and helped them solve an issue. And they're like, well, I'm not ready for a subscription, but I'd like to give you a one time. And the thing is, you could do a one time. Absolutely. Uh, appreciation. Or you can uh, have a regular subscription. We're, yep. we're, we're flexible that way. Yep. However so you want to do it. And it, it all counts towards your account and, and adds up to that hundred bucks that uh, again, you know, the, the token that, that we give back uh, is, is, is simply that it's a, it's a token. It, it's something cool that we can do and, and we can make it unique each time around so that it's special and, uh, and we love it. So, so there you go. Thank you for all of you who have uh, contributed recently, contributed over time. Those of you that have been with the premium program since the beginning and you know who you are. Thank you very much. Uh, it's it's humbling and it it truly is inspiring. So, uh, so there we are. Now, quick stuff. We've got a bunch of stuff to go through, John. But I think we can burn. I got through. a quick one. I think go. Andy, Andy had a question. Andy said, "Simple question here. I have a MacBook Pro with a 120 gigabyte SSD as my boot disk and a 750 gigabyte momentous." hybrid disk which i'm a big fan of as some of you may know i installed in the cd bay which holds all my data file vault happily encrypts my ssd but i can't find an option to encrypt the momentous drive which is the drive that actually matters help here's where you cut me off and i'm going to cut you off andy but i'm going to give you a quick answer so what you want to do is when you see that drive in your sidebar you want to right click on that drive and you know what you're going to see a selection encrypt and the name of the drive. And that's it. Now, it's, it's kind of obscure. And actually, in, in past versions of OS X, it was, you had to jump through hoops to uh, encrypt with FileVault a drive that was not the boot drive. This is about as easy as it can get, but it's, it's hidden. Uh, so I'll agree. It's, it's kind of like, huh? Because if you go to FileVault, you, you won't see anything except your boot drive be the option. So that's how you do it. And I just did that today. Just for uh, kicks on a on a SSD that I have in my MacBook Pro, and uh, it works. The only drawback is that you may not get a clear indication of where it's at. Is that it never really tells you where it's at in the encryption process. Um, but you'll know because uh, the next time it tries to mount that drive, it's going to be like, dude, I need the password. That's pretty cool. I had no. I mean, I saw your question when you or saw your answer when you put it through, but I, I had no idea that it was that simple. I thought there was something I had to do in Disk Utility to go and encrypt it, and I think you can actually in in Disk Utility. I think you can encrypt a drive there too, right? Yeah, but this is even easier now. It's fun because if you have something like my favorite tool called um, Hardware Growler, you'll see it do all the magic in the background. You'll see it mount the. Uh, uh, recovery partition and or I assume create it. Uh, you'll see them mount the EFI partition and then unmount it. So it was fun to watch. And I was like, wow, they did a really nice job. So awesome. it's as easy as that. Uh, uh, only within the, the last several versions, uh, last couple of versions, I would say of OS 10. Otherwise, yeah, it's kind of a bear to uh, encrypt uh, uh, a non-boot drive. So there you go. Awesome. Enjoy. Chuck writes, I have a question. I have a set of Bluetooth headphones I use on my iMac. I have some apps set up to send audio to internal speakers, regardless of what is set as the output. I often have to switch the primary sound output and adjust the volume of the internal speakers while I have music playing through the headphones. I need a way to change the primary sound output with a keyboard shortcut. I also wish I could adjust the volume of the other output instead of just the primary one. Uh, any ideas? So there is one way uh, of changing the sound output. 
if you have it, uh, it, you know, if you go into system preferences and you may already have this set cause it's set by default, but in the sound system preference, you can check the box that says show volume in menu bar. And if in fact you have the volume showing in the menu bar, you can option click on the volume. And instead of seeing the volume, you get to pick both the input and output device for your Mac. You don't have to take a trip to the, uh, the sound system preference pane. You don't need to go through multiple tabs there. You can see what's selected. You can mess with it. You can change it. Uh, the volume controls on the Mac only adjust the main volume of the, of the main device, but you could change it quickly here and then adjust that volume and then change it back. Uh, you probably could script this with keyboard maestro. I have not tried, but I see no reason why that couldn't be scripted. And, um, but I don't know about changing the, uh, the, the volume for a non, for the non default device. So I don't know, but you can at least change the sound built in or change the, uh, the input and output device with the option key. Good stuff. What do you got, John? Hmm. You're assuming I'm ready for Bob, right? I am. Go. And I am ready for Bob. So this is the best answer I had for Bob. So Bob said, I wonder if others ever had this problem. Whenever I click on a JPEG file, Photoshop 6 starts up. I've clicked on such files, typed command I, which is get info, selected always open, similar files with, uh, yeah, close enough, and choose Photoshop CC Creative Cloud 2014, but Photoshop sticks Photoshop six still she sells. <laughs> there you go. Opens. Easy for you to say when these files <laughs> Photoshop six still opens when these files are double clicked. Any other way to force the newer Photoshop to open instead. Now, the best thing I could offer and the, the thing is they've, OS 10 uses some mysterious hand wave magic. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on here to open files. Um, normally you can do it through the get info and say open always, but if it doesn't work, the thing is there are a number of criteria that the, the OS can use to de- determine what is used to open a file. And one of them is the file extension, but there are a few other things. And the only tool that I know, Dave, and I suggest this, and I think, uh, Bob said it didn't work, but I think he has to dig a little deeper. But um, there is something called RC Default App. And this is a utility that will let you dig deep into the OS and see what all these mappings are. And I think he, he probably didn't stumble upon the right one. So not only can you say, all right, you know, open this, uh, but, but there are a number of categories here. And on, if, if you download this, on the rightmost part of the screen, you're going to see... Uh, something called UTIs, something called mind types, and something called file types. And these are, as far as I can tell, the three different criteria that the OS can use to figure out who should open a particular type of file. And I think he has to just dig a little deeper to find this out. The other option, if that doesn't work, is a lot of times we've seen this in some of the iOS uh, 10 apps, is you may have to go into the app itself to set who opens what, and that may be the other solution. I hadn't yet suggested that to him. So that's really got what I, if that's all it, I got for that. Here's, here's my, if it, if it is the double clicking in the finder 
uh, you can do the get info thing. You can change the specific file, but you can also, uh, as you said, change all files, right? You know, you, you do get info, you change it to whatever you want to change it to. And then you can click the change all button, which says use this application to open all documents like this one. Um, that should work regardless of what might be set inside the app, because all the app is doing is changing that as well. If that doesn't work, it probably means that your launch services database is corrupt and you can got to rebuild that. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and I, for that, I use my friend. What's that? No, good one. I, uh, I, I had not thought of that, but that is, yeah, that is the database in the OS that tells, tells it what to, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Go. And, and for that, I like Yasu. You could use Onyx as well. Uh, but Yasu works and it's simpler and it doesn't pester you when it launches quite as much as Onyx does, even though I still uh, use Onyx for quite a few things. But, um, but that's, that's the, uh, that's probably what's going on is you've got a corrupt launch services database. If that's the, uh, if that's now, what's going on. It had not yet occurred to me, but here's one last thought, Dave. Yeah, go. Um, well, Bob said uh, he clicked on a JPEG file. JPEG. Yep. Now it could be that he has one mapping for files with JPEG and another for files with JPG. Because as far as I can tell, those are both valid suffixes for a JPEG image file. They are. I, I yeah. I don't know if OS 10 syncs those or not. It may not. It may. You may be right. I don't think it does. Well, no. I think based on what not. I've seen in yeah. RC default app, you you it uh, from what I've seen it's entirely possible you could have one app open J, jpg files and another app open jpeg files that makes sense yeah i'll buy that yeah so that just had not occurred to me until i saw him spell it out because almost all of mine are jpg not a jpeg so give that a spin and he would have had to do that as opposed to by default the os is probably going to open both with the same Probably with preview or something until you put something on there and map it differently. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, although apps can, as John can mentioned, take them, yeah. can can take over. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, uh, Dave had a good tip. He actually answered his own question. He says, "I was trying to eject my external drive and couldn't." Finder said it was in use, which it was. I couldn't find the program using the drive, and even when I thought it was Carbon Copy Cloner, which it turned out to be, I couldn't command tab to get to this particular window because the window did not exist using command tab. I minimized the other windows to find the source of the problem. My question is, how do you find a window that is open that you can't reach by command tab without having to minimize all open applications that I might be using? And then he wrote back uh, moments later. I just found the answer. I used mission control. I used the trick to reveal all windows from applications that are open. And sure enough, that's, that's the way to go uh, on your trackpad or your magic trackpad. That is, I believe by default, a three finger up swipe. And it will show you all uh-huh. of uh, all of the uh, applications and their windows. And it, it can be really handy, especially for those things that might be sitting in the background that, you know, uh, right in front of the finder that don't really have a, an application associated with them. Those are, that's how you find those, those things without, um, as you know, as Dave said, without having to, you know, quit all your apps or manually hide or anything like that. So yeah, don't forget about mission control. Right. And if you don't have the magic trackpad, if you don't have a trackpad, that's right. My information here, um, F9, I believe 
is the default function key to bring up mission control. Sweet. I may have remapped mine, but I take either three or four f- fingers of my thumb and squeeze them together, and that's how I get there. So, Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I remapped it or if... Uh... Huh. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know I haven't remapped mine. So, yeah. All right. And then Rick writes, he says, I recently returned from a trip to Italy. During this time, I was unable to receive messages on my iPhone unless I was connected to the Internet via Wi-Fi. Messages were sent to me from other iPhones. I had data roaming turned off. So I expected these messages to fail to send as iMessages, but to reach me as SMS messages. This did not happen. When I returned to my hotel where I had a Wi-Fi connection to the Internet, I would get my messages because they would come in over data. I was unable. And, and, and the important thing to remember is iMessage or messages, whatever you want to call the app, uh, sends via your data connection. SMS sends via your phone connection. They are two separate things. Um, Rick continues. I was able to send a message to a friend, a nearby friend in Italy. It went out as an SMS, but I did not get his reply until I was on Wi-Fi. Did I set up something wrong? Is this another manifestation of the problem that occurs when someone switches from an iPhone to Android, etc.? cetera? Uh, any help for next time would be appreciated. So here's the thing. Uh, if you go to settings on your iPhone, and, and this is something, unfortunately, your friends would have to do. You got to go to settings, messages, and there is a box that is off by default called send as SMS. And this is the part where you tell the iPhone, yeah, it's okay to use SMS if you can't send the message via iMessage, as opposed to just wait until you can send the message via iMessage. And that... It, it, I think Apple leaves this off by default because they don't want to incur SMS fees for people that have them. Uh, but it does create this little bit of wonkiness. Yeah, you've, you've run into this, Pete. Well, yeah, there's that also. And the fact is, um, it, you know, it sounds to me like he has data roaming turned off for Italy. Uh, if he'd have bought data, then it would have sure. come in over his data plan once there. Um, and my daughter's in Italy right now, and we experienced kind of this thing, but it was actually from the, she was on the cruise ship. And uh, wound up using data on the cruise ship instead of via land. And then I got a nice letter from AT&T asking for another $100. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, they love that cruise ship data. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do. So, But, yeah, it sounds to me, you know, the other option was to buy data and and just get it that way. But that's, you know, that isn't cheap. But you already used that much data for an SMS or for the iMessage. Right. 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 Yeah. It sounds like he had some kind of roaming uh, for his phone and therefore SMS, but not, not data. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, You got another quick one for us here, John? I got a surprise, Dave. I promised you a surprise. Do you want the surprise? Go lay it on me. Now you may be asking me, John, what is different about my audio setup here? And I'm going to tell you what the difference is, Dave. So in the past, the, this is something that you and I had both received in our goodie bag here. So you and I had both got, and I've been using these for years, and I was okay with them until recently. Yep. So we both got ourselves a pair of Shure SRH240 headphones. Okay? And that's okay. what I was using for my monitor to listen to, to what your, your wisdom uh, uh, and, and other babblings, right? <laughs> yes. And I'm looking on their site here, and actually it's interesting now because those are no longer made. Right, yeah, they're, they they're older. They have the SRH240As. And I think I know why, because you know what happened, Dave? And this is uh, something that I've seen not only with Shure, but Eddie Modic uh, and, and other devices I've used that are wired. 
is that eventually the wired connection. Now, you, you would think they deal with this with the stress relief or something like that, but I've seen a lot of vendors just don't get it. And so this started happening. It was really frustrating me because the headphones I use to listen to, to, to your wit and wisdom, I, I would hear crackles and pops and I'd have to rotate it. And it was just annoying. I wanted a pleasant audio experience. Well, I just received something at this week's event here, which totally changed the picture, Dave. Okay. And I'm going to tell you what they are now. I'm going <laughs> to drop the other shoe here. What do I have different? You're going to ask. And I'm going to tell you, Dave, I just got a pair of Synchros SB S 400 BT headphones dude those are so nice them. and i'm using them as we speak so so i went to uh, so jbl had an event uh which i also met uh the, this totally awesome guy dusty Wright. oh yeah i just like turned around and i'm like dude we met like at podcast expo like years ago yeah <laughs> i guess he now lives in new york city so jbl had had a, a awesome event and one of the things they were doing Doing was to uh, hand out to the media uh, once we tried them out these uh, headphones and I got to say so I've been using them for the entire episode here I have them hooked up using Bluetooth okay um, to my Mac Mini and I would say the only weirdness Dave is that I don't get an immediate uh, feedback channel like I did with the others because it was a wired connection so the only weirdness to me is that before when I spoke in the mic I would hear it immediately because it was wired through the board yeah right now I have it wired through the Mac. So you're so getting a little delay feeding back to me. Uh, it's not notable. Um, yeah, but, say, but I have yeah, noticed, so, so you, I have noticed during the show that you don't hear me speak immediately. And I wonder if that's the reason or if it's some other Skype weirdness that's just unique to today. Cause it's definitely different. Okay. There may be a delay, but we'll have to do a, a timing yeah. test. Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm hearing you in almost real time, and we could do the one, two, three, four, ten. Well, we'll do it later. Yeah. But uh, now, do you have the? This? Do you have a way of headphones? plugging these in to your Mac or your iPhone? Say, if you were on an airplane where you can't use Bluetooth, technically. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so a couple of options. So these are Bluetooth headphones. So you you can uh, use Bluetooth audio to connect them. They also have a microphone. Um, personally, I would not recommend using this. So you could use this to make a phone call on your iPhone. Why wouldn't you recommend um, using it? Quality, well, it's a little hole in the side of the headphones here. I, I would just say the audio quality. Right. Uh-oh. Right? Uh, you cut out for a second there. But I, I, I've, used, I've used the old, uh, the Harman, I can't remember the model name, but, but it was a similar small hole and the audio for a phone call sounded amazing. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a judgment based on what you see. I would make a judgment based on what other people hear. Well, uh, no, I tried it. Once. Oh, you I, did try I, it. I did. Well, I did try to call my landline phone. Maybe it wasn't hooked up right, but so I'll try it again. But uh, again, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily use these as a primary, you can certainly use them connected to an I, iPhone yeah. for making phone calls and receiving phone calls. See, uh, I'll, I'll try it again. Okay. As far as audio though, the audio profile of these, um, they definitely uh, listening to music, so they definitely boost the mid range and the uh, the bass. Yeah, but not obscenely like you know some other. Yeah, not <laughs> like the beat stuff. Vendors. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't crazy. But it was definitely different from the wired headphones. So listening to my tunes, it, it was pleasant to me, and I didn't have to use an equalizer. The other thing is that they have a touch control on one of the uh, on on one of the earpieces, so you can use a touch control to either increase the volume, do you decrease the volume. Uh, pause or go forward or back. 
Sweet. It takes some getting used to. Yeah. Um, and you can also use it. And, and the thing is, I've seen in some of the reviews here is that some people gripe in that apparently if you don't hit it quite right, you may either call someone. It, it may initiate a phone call when you don't expect it. So you got to be careful of this. But you're, if you're just using it for music, listening to music and, and dealing with your playlists, um, I think it's pretty cool. So, it's a, so they have two cables that it comes with. So one, as you pointed out, which is a good thing, there's a cable that plugs right in and there's no, as far as I can tell, it doesn't use battery at all. It's, it's direct wired headphones if you want to make them so. Right. right now I'm using them in Bluetooth mode. The other cable is a, uh, you know, kind of a finger rag, but it's proprietary. So it's USB on one end and it goes into like a kind of mini USB thing to charge it. And they claim up to 12 hours of Bluetooth. Um, I noticed this because the thing is, when I got them, they weren't fully charged and the audio started degrading, but it wasn't like totally shot. But I was like, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, these sound terrible. And I was like, oh, that's because the battery's almost dead. So, um, but my plan is to, uh, well, I'm going to continue to try to use these. Maybe, maybe I'll try them next in wired mode. But, yeah. Um, dude, they're nice headphones. They retail oh, no, for I- uh, 229 Um you know, from what I've read, uh, I think they're great for listening to music. Uh, the other thing is the range. I mean, the thing is you can't wander too far from the computer. I would say tens of feet before it kind of breaks down. So it's not, don't expect, at least in my experience, that you're going to be wandering the house. But they're... Well, that like. you can if, you, if you're playing from your iPhone. You just put your phone in your pocket. I mean, Bluetooth right. audio... I think that's the intended use. Yeah. In that you have, to be, uh, you have to be close to the device that you're listening to the music from. Or near a Bluetooth uh, extender or access point. That's all I'll say. But, don't, yeah. you know, I would say don't expect that you're going to roam the house. You know, it's not Wi-Fi. Uh, it's Bluetooth. Well, that's, that's so, typical uh, of Bluetooth audio, right? You get, you know, 20 to right. 30 feet. Uh, I, I checked out yeah. at CES. I checked out the S400s, not the, the non-Bluetooth version of those. And they're amazing. They, I mean, they've done a killer job there at, at JBL. Um, I think, I, you know, I mentioned uh, in the last show that I was going to pack that pulse unit with me to bring up to the lake. It's that thing's amazing. I listened to it while I was taking a shower. It's just, you know, it's perfect. So they, they, they do good stuff. The folks there at JBL actually care about sound quality and it, and it shows, it really shows it's good stuff. All right. You want to yeah. take us? So we'll have to see because some people, well, some people were commenting in the room. I don't know if introducing these has changed anything or if it's just Skype weirdness, but we'll have to see. Yeah. Some, something is very different about you today um, in terms of your, either your, more successfully ignoring me when I talk to you, uh, which is of course entirely <laughs> possible <laughs> or, uh, the headphones are causing some kind of noise cancellation or, 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 a, or simply a delay, um, in, in your setup. So that it, one or the other, uh, or, or the fact that you're not hearing yourself in your headphones, um, as you normally are may ca- just be causing a, um, a psychoacoustic thing. I don't know. Um, but uh, but anyway, psychoacoustic. Wow, yeah. that sounds fancy. It does. I don't even know if I use. I that think it's word a Skype right. thing. I've, I've heard you drop out, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, I've got, uh, I haven't heard you, and I, I try to you know pick up on it as quickly as I can. So we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah. No, I think I did use psychoacoustic, right? So all right, good. Um, <laughs> take us quickly to Rob, if you would please, my friend. Rob. So Rob says he loves this show and then we love you too, Rob. I, I think we do, right? Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, we so, do. Um, <laughs> Premium listener, Rob, no less. <laughs> so Rob says he has a 2011 iMac that has USB 2.0 built in and he would like to use Thunderbolt 
a Thunderbolt hub to get faster USB 3.0 connections for an external hard drive. He visited the Apple store and asked, and he asked one of the staff if it was possible. And the staffs, uh, should I skip that part? No, that's important. Uh, Don't stop right, now. Well, okay. <laughs> he visited the Apple store and asked one of the staff if it was possible. And he believed that the Thunderbolt hub would only provide USB 2.0 speeds since that what is built into the computer. And then Rob continues. I was strongly considering the Thunderbolt dock from Elgato. However, if it's not going to give me USB 3.0 speeds, I will just bag the idea and continue working with the IMAX built-in USB 2. Thank you for the advice. And here's the advice I gave him. The thing is, Thunderbolt is a low-level bus, similar to other things like PCI. Um, and in his case, I looked it up. So his machine supports a Thunderbolt bus of 10 gigabits per second per Thunderbolt channel or bus. Um, the thing is, anything that is on a Thunderbolt bus, now you've got to realize that Thunderbolt is a low-level bus. Um, and USB sits on top of it. What I'm trying... Yeah. What I'm trying... Yes, exactly. Thank you. So the thing is, USB 3 or gigabit Ethernet or whatever bus is, whatever connector is on a Thunderbolt bus is going to operate at that speed. Um. So I guess what I'm saying is that the, the, the advice that he received was incorrect and that you're not limited by the capability of the existing USB port because it has absolutely nothing to do with the speed of the USB port that's connected to the Thunderbolt bus. That is totally independent. And I guess that's the message that I want to send here. So now that, Dave gave a fine example. Well, that's the beauty of Thunderbolt, right? Is that it is an extension. It, it's an expansion bus. You're not limited. You're, you're limited to thunder. What's what, whatever Thunderbolt speed is, which in for Thunderbolt one is 10 gigabits a second and Thunderbolt two is 20. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, when we talked about this a couple shows ago, right, where I, I replaced my, or I added a Thunderbolt bus. And I, in fact, I have the Elgato one still connected to guess what? My 2011 iMac. And USB three works at full speed, no problem. Gigabit Ethernet works at full right. speed, no problem. Right, and that was your issue. Yeah, so the thing is, your USB, your Ethernet port for whatever reason is screwed up, and it's only giving you, I guess, hundred. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and not gigabit. But using the one on on the dock, you were getting gigabit. Absolutely. Um, the only thing I want to point out to him is that Thunderbolt could potentially be a bottleneck, and I give a few examples here. So the thing is. USB 3, in theory, is 5 gigabits per second, right? Now, the thing is, the Thunderbolt on his machine is 10 gigabits per second, all right? Well, you do the math. I think this, uh, this device has three USB 3 ports. So if you try to use all three of them at full capacity, well, guess what? 5 plus 5 plus 5 equals 15. Sure. That's greater than 10. So that's going to be the bottleneck. Though I'm not sure, Dave, actually on the Elgato, do you know this? The thing is, I saw two Thunderbolt ports on the Elgato. Is that two, is that, uh, are they operating independently? Is it a pass-through or what, what, what's the deal there? Are, well, that would, that would be for a daisy chain. My question is, right, I mean, one of them has to plug into sure. your Mac. One of them has to plug into your Understood. Mac. Right. And then the other one is to daisy chain off of. You can either put a Thunderbolt drive on it, which I've done and it works, or you can connect another Thunderbolt dock or any, I mean, do whatever you want. I wasn't sure if you hooked up two 
if you if your Mac had two Thunderbolt ports, you see where I'm going with this. If your Mac had two Thunderbolt ports and you hooked up to both of them, I wouldn't on do the that. Port, would you then get would you then get 20 gigabits per second, 10 plus 10? No. No, no, no. it's for daisy chaining. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. No, I get it. Yeah, but I think if you had just, a USB three bus on your Mac, and I don't have a Mac with a USB three bus to test this. But if you have three USB three ports on your Mac, I don't know that they're all on separate buses. They might be, I, I, but right. I mean, you may run into the same problem because if a USB three bus is five gigabits per second and you have two ports on it, well then now it's even slower. And I, and I don't know, I haven't tested the USB three. I think it's one USB three bus in that those Thunderbolt docks, but, but it's a good, I mean, you bring up a good question. I don't know the answer to it, but if it is just one USB three bus, you won't get 10 gigabits. If you plug in two USB three drives, you'd only get five gigabits split between the two drives. Mm. I, and I don't know that answer. I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm just speculating as to, you know, Thunderbolt may not be your issue there, uh, but with one USB three drive on that Elgato thing and on the Cal digit one, and on the Belkin one that I test, those are really the three that, that exist. Uh, and they're all similar. Uh, two of them are exactly the same, uh, but uh, they work well. Yeah, it's great. I, you know, it's great. Cool. And I, yep. and I gave him a blast from the past. So I, Dave, believe it or not, not even though I have antiquated hardware relatively. <laughs> yeah. I've run USB 3. I actually had a CalDigit, talking about our friends at CalDigit. They actually provided me when I evaluated one of their first USB 3 drives. They're like, oh, you don't have that? Well, we got an ExpressCard 3040 USB 3 adapter. How about that? And I'm like, cool. The only thing in that case, like I pointed out before, is that ExpressCard 34 can only do two and a half gigabits per second, whereas USB right. 3 is five. So that was the limiting factor. So with any you know, bus extension, whether it be Thunderbolt or Thunderbolt 2 or Express Card 34, keep in mind that that bus may be limited. And even though you have a ton of ports on the dock or whatever it is, uh, they may exceed the capability of the underlying bus. Yeah, well, and the other thing to remember, too, is what is your um, what kind of drive are you connecting? Right. I mean, the, the, the speed of the disk itself may be your limiting factor. It may not be USB 3 or Thunderbolt. So you just got to. Oh, know, right. Because I don't think many drives are going to go at uh, five gigabits per second. Well, they but will they if it's if it's right. either SSD or RAID or both. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of those out there. So. Um, so there you go. All right. One yeah. quick thing. Uh, two quick. We're going to have we're going to do two more things. Number one is real quick. Andy shared with us. Uh, in in response to our discussion last week about uh, what hard drives are most reliable in NAS units, uh, he shared a blog post that Backblaze had uh, had posted. You know, they go through a lot of drives there over at Backblaze, and they put this killer blog post together where they went through. They're really smart, right? They they monitor what kind of drives they've put into their pods, which is the sort of the their big Mondo RAID arrays, uh, which I'm sure they would hate me calling it that, but. That for lack of a better term, lots of drives in box uh, that where your, your data is stored. And they've talked about the pods too, but in their pods, they put all kinds of different drives and they've tracked the, the actual failure time. And, uh, and so they've, they've got a great chart and blog post describing everything. They really seem to like the, um, the, the Western digital drives. They found that Seagates tend to fail, um, but uh, more often, but it, but, 
it, you got to look at the post because a they're using these drives in a very different way than you probably would. Um, so, uh, you, you know, th- th- their, their mileage may not be your mileage, but it's a cool blog post to read. Uh, and nonetheless, and then lastly, I want to go to Mike because we have Pete here and, and during our pre-show break, I found out that Pete went through a very similar thing to Mike. So, uh, so we will end with this. Hey, Josh, Dave, it is Mike from Newburyport, Mass. And I have a question for you about a smashed screen on an iPhone 4S. Uh, my wife uh, had a little accident with her phone, and uh, she was due for an upgrade. So anyway, she got a nice new 5S, which is great. But I have this 4S, you know, that is perfectly usable except for the screen. Uh, I looked into iFixit in terms of fixing it. Uh, I've also heard that there are kiosks in the mall that will fix the screen. Uh, and I guess my question is, is, if I fix the screen and wipe it, is that the right thing to do? Should I fix the screen? How's the best way to get the most money from this operational, slightly damaged 4S? Uh, and should I dive in and try and replace the screen for my fix it, which looks to be fairly complex? Uh, what's your recommendation for my favorite geeks? And, uh, just seem to know everything. All right. Uh, so my initial gut reaction was I checked gazelle, right? And I checked it for a 32 gig, uh, 4S. I don't know what he's got, but you know, I just figured, and I checked it 35 bucks is what they would give me with a cracked screen, 120 bucks in good condition, 130 bucks flawless. I made a very incorrect assumption about what it would cost to replace that. Uh, digitizer and told them just send it to gazelle with the cracked screen because you told me that you can get those digitizers for like 20 bucks as, as luck would have it yeah i bought one for 19 and change uh and and changed one out last night um well uh before that it, it's been about a year i got one for 27 dollars, put it on a, on a 4s and it works fabulously in fact my daughter is using the phone now I, the weird experience that i had last night was once i had the new digitizer and screen on and uh, put it all back together, fired it up, and had the exact same spot in the top left portion of the screen, and it was washed out and flooded and all that. And so, so I got thirty-one bucks for it. Uh, I assumed that it was an eight, uh, a sixteen gigabyte. It might have been a thirty-two. I sure. don't know. But uh, so I should get, uh, with any luck, I'll get thirty-one bucks uh, from from Gazelle for that. But um, it, it's it's tedious. But not difficult. If you can follow the pictures and, and read through iFixit, man, that thing is fabulous. And they said, usually when you buy both times now, when I've bought the uh, replacement digitizer and display unit, I've gotten all the tools I've needed yeah. to, to fix it, although I have a, a toolkit on my own. Um, okay. You know, that and a nice tray to keep square sure. and all the things. And, and follow the hints. They've got good hints in there. Like there's some screws on, in there when you pull the screen out that you'll miss it if you don't go and read the hints which is don't take these screws out just loosen them they let go of the brackets and you can slide it out if you take them out good luck getting them back in it's uh, uh it's a neat trick so there's a lot of a lot of hints in there the iFixit community is fabulous um but you got to have a study hand and uh good eyesight or really good cheaters and uh yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, and just be patient it, it's it's totally doable if you're at all mechanically inclined and it sounds like if he wants to sell it, 
again, he may, yeah. he, he has to understand the risk that he might run into exactly the scenario you did where, it, but this is a cracked screen. Exactly. So he probably for 20 bucks and an hour of his time can probably make a hundred. Right. Absolutely. And in yeah. worst case, he turns in a broken one and gets his money back in 10 bucks. Right. On top of it. Yeah, so, right. So it's, that's worth the risk to me. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, now i got to send Mike another email just in case he... Uh, Mike, don't send it yet. Yeah, don't send it yet. That's right. So, Well, he should have a few days for it because that'll get him the box. But. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Hey, that's the band, it sounds like. It is the band. Are we done again? We're done again. David, it mm. constant, you, you know, I just have so much fun doing this. <laughs> As to you. That's how it works. The time just... This is an hour, hour and a half. It is. Yeah. That's time it. Time flies when you're having gab. I th- I'm pretty sure we're on Tuesday next week just because of my travel schedule. As I mentioned, we're going up to Tuesday. see some family. Yep. Um, but I'll, I'll check the calendar. We'll put it in the chat room. We'll put it up on Facebook. Just, we'll put it on up, Google+. Uh, up in the, the, di- the deep, uh, deep northeast. Uh, no, my family's in uh, Booth Bay Harbor, which is, well, yes, the deep northeast, I guess, from anywhere else in the country. It's not that, well, when, you, when you're comparing it to the rest of Maine, it's really not that far at all. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like we're going up to Bangor or further, so, yeah. 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 yeah, next yeah week, Maine, I mean, Maine, Maine, Maine gets kind of, Maine is where you start, even though I live in the northeast, I can't understand what half these people are saying. Yeah, there's some of that in Maine. Yeah, for sure. Booth Bay Harbor is a little different. I think they see a lot of tourists there. So um, my family happens okay. to, to live there, but but it is a tourist trap. Uh, you know. I saw a picture there. Can't get there if I'm here. That's right. Yeah. You know? Wouldn't start here if I was going there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to make sure we thank Michael Johnston uh, from the iOS show podcast, as well as getappler.com. He is the one that converts this show to AAC for us and for you, adding all those great chapters and all that good stuff. Uh, also, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Yeah. Uh, we got all kinds of things going on. We want to thank the folks in the podcast marketplace that includes Barebones Software, Smile at smilesoftware.com, Gazelle, Squarespace.com, MGG is the coupon code. Also, Squarespace Shoutout is your hashtag to use. We've gotten a couple of you, and we're going to tweet out your websites shortly here, so send those to us. I fix it, as we mentioned in the show, uh, even though it wasn't a sponsor spot. We brought them up because it happens. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash mgg folks have a great week we will see you on the flip side don't get caught made up